fairy tales, children's stories about magical and imaginary beings and lands, often the first lens we give young minds to view the world they live in. Many assume these are fictional stories to be taken lightly, but what if there's more to them? This is a podcast where we'll tell you some myths and tales that you thought you knew, and we'll show you how they are connected to real-life crimes today. This is Scary Tales, where the stories of your childhood meet real-life horror. We'll discuss how the light and happy tales of youth actually have a darker history to them. We'll also discuss true crime today and some of the eerie connections they have to the myths and legends of yesterday. Tune in for a new tale every other Tuesday. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere you stream your podcast. Mm-hmm. 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 I understood the assignment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's the assignment today? Today's assignment is the Tooth Fairy. Oh, wow. It feels fitting for this to be the episode after Halloween. Yeah. Now that we just rotted our teeth out Also, with, with all the candy. This is the last episode Hannah's going to be on until after the baby. Did I say that right? I think so. Until the baby comes. Yeah. And then we'll have some guest speakers, guest yeah, hosts. Because if we're if we're every other Tuesday and this is the last Tuesday before she hopefully will be here. Uh huh. I told Hannah I would be so proud of her if she had the baby tomorrow on Halloween. Tomorrow, yeah. So we're because yeah. we're recording a little early. And she said she didn't want to do that. David doesn't want her to share a birthday with a holiday with the devil. No, it wasn't even that. It was just with a holiday, or because he doesn't want her to be born on my birthday either, which is November second. Yeah, he wants her to have her own birthday. Well, I wish I could have been born on Halloween. Halloween is your birthday. Uh, true. Facts. We just, we've stopped giving Lacey birthday and Christmas presents and we just give her Halloween presents. That's now. fine with me. That's what also, you prefer. do you like candy corn? It depends. Some people, Somet- there's sometimes a lot of, I do, sometimes I don't. There's a lot of memes about it just being trash. And yeah, it's, I, it's l- I can't stop eating. I can't stop eating it. It's very good. I have to be in the right mood for it. Like, Certain types of music. But if you eat a lot of candy corn and you don't brush your teeth, you're probably going to get a visit from the tooth fairy because all your teeth are going to fall out. Do you... All right, so tell me a little bit about your experience with the tooth fairy. Tooth fairy experience. I had a little pillow. Mm-hmm. And I think it had the prayer, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul shall take or something like that, which is terrifying in and of itself yeah. as a little kid. Uh, and you put your pillow in there, and I think I got you a dollar. Put your, you put your pillow in there? You I mean, I put my in tooth there? in there, and I think I got like a dollar. I don't remember I don't remember a lot about the tooth fairy. I, I lost all my baby teeth by second grade, which I feel like is very young. Really? I had to go get mine, all mine pulled out because they never came out, and it was time for braces. See, all, all mine fell out on their own by second mm-hmm. grade. I got braces in third grade when they were cool. Do you remember how much money you got? I don't. I actually texted my parents and asked them, and they haven't texted me back yet. Sorry. Oh, I try to do a little research, but I remember finding a little. I had a little like box mm-hmm. that I put all my teeth in. Mm. That's just weird. Yeah, it was it's a weird it's like, thing. It's like one of those things that when when you're little, it's cool, and then you stick it in the back of your closet, and you don't think about it. And then when you're like a teenager, you're going through your closet, and you come across it, and you're like. What is this? Also, when I got my wisdom teeth out a couple months ago, when I woke up from anesthesia, I didn't know what was going on, but I had enough sense to ask him, I want want my teeth. You kept your wisdom teeth? No. He said, I'm sorry, we already threw them away or something like that. That would be, those are deep. Like, those are big. I know. I could have put it on a necklace. Like the Vikings. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, yep, yep. So the Tooth Fairy. Uh, again, f- feels appropriate to talk about this right here after Halloween. If anybody's having tooth pains, give give this a try. See if you can make a couple bucks. Or you might be spending some money at the dentist. Mm-hmm. Um, according to US Today, in 2018, the Tooth Fairy paid an average of $3.70 per tooth. Inflation. Inflation. Yeah. Yeah, Because that's an average. Right. I'm surprised, honestly, it's not like $10 a tooth. I, that's just too much. Yeah. I don't know. For, for a kid. And where does the 70 cents come in? Just make it even. (laughs) $3 and 72 cents. The tooth fairy, as we know her today, is, is more of like a recent American creation. This is not, I mean, what we'll talk about, hashtag America. Mm -hmm. But We'll try to go back as far as we can. The tradition and legend behind disposing of baby teeth actually goes back to the Middle Ages. We're not going all the way back to the Greeks this time. There, I think we'll we, talk. We'll talk about bit, them. But, yeah. But the main, like, actual tradition of how you get rid of baby teeth. I mean, people have been losing teeth since mm-hmm. the dawn of time. Mm-hmm. But this weird method of getting rid of it and it being like a family tradition is more Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. So legend has it that. Europeans in the Middle Ages believed that a witch could curse someone by using their teeth. Mm-hmm. And so it was really important to get rid of baby teeth in a correct way because you didn't want a witch to curse your child. Makes sense. So to do this, teeth were typically swallowed, buried, or burned. I, if you swallow it, it's just going to come back out and then you're still going to have to bury it. So True. Seems like there are better options than swallowing it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure people accidentally swallow their teeth all the time, right? You bite into an apple and yeah. it's an accident or whatever. But Or burying or burning it. Mm-hmm. Which burning it just makes me think of like... I didn't think teeth burned. I, I thought, Well, I didn't either. I, it's, this makes me think of like the way serial killers try to like get rid of teeth because DNA evidence yeah. connects it back to you so closely. Yeah. Also, right. just don't understand them finding people based off dental records. Like, how do you know where I went to the dentist? At what or point I, in my what, life? How do my teeth look different than your teeth? Yeah. Interesting. Sometimes baby teeth were even left for rodents to eat. Um, Even the... Is that something rodents like? I don't know. I think it's because because rodents had really strong teeth. So that they could... Their teeth could destroy human teeth. Okay. So um, they they would eat... It was believed that if a rodent ate a tooth, like if you gave one of these teeth to a rodent, that it would somehow lead to the baby having stronger teeth as an adult. I feel like if, when I think strong teeth, I think horse. No, they went, no, they went rat. Oh, well, I'm, there's probably lots of rats back then. I, I get, yeah, I guess middle horses. ages. Yeah, I guess so. Um, this tooth fairy myth beca- began to show more characteristics of more of a traditional fairy tale around the 18th century in France La Bonne Petite Souris, which is a bedtime story, tells the unusual tale of a fairy that changes into a mouse. You're going to hear a lot of mice in this. Um, lots, in these, of, lots of ra- rats. Lots of mice and rats in these origins. But this story tells the tale of a fairy that changes into a mouse to help a good queen defeat an evil king. This mouse secretly hides under the evil king's pillow and defeats him by knocking out his teeth. Mm. Not, I guess that was his like Achilles heel. I guess so. This fairy mouse then hides the teeth under the king's pillow, 
before eventually assassinating him. Right. Is his uh, charge at not having any teeth? And they were like, assassinate him. I, I guess can't so. Have can't, can't have a gummy mouth. Can't have a gummy mouth king. Can't have a king without a good smile. So why why does the tooth fairy leave money under the pillow? So you had a, a little bit of like the the pillow thing in that story, but there was no money associated with that story. Mm-hmm. This idea of exchanging a tooth for coins actually originally originated in Scandinavia. Uh, Vikings would pay children for a lost tooth because teeth were worn on necklaces as good luck charms in battle. Mm. Which, I don't know, the Vikings were pretty intense, so I could see that. Right. But I, I guess I could more so see that as, like, they were wearing the teeth of, like, people they had killed. Yeah. Not the teeth of babies as good luck, but... Right. But... Interesting. So the Vikings did. Um, a little a little other... Some other places in the world. In many Spanish-speaking countries, uh, you have a little mouse again. It was a similar tradition, again, with the Tooth Fairy, but as a small rodent, and his name was Rantoncito Rantoncito. Rantoncito Perez. See, because rat or mouse is raton. So it means little rat Perez. And he would leave you treats under your pillow. Would you rather rather have a fairy or a rat? A a fairy that left you money or a rat that leaves you treats? Because it doesn't necessarily specify whether it was money, but he would leave you little treats. Probably cheese. I don't know. He seems cute. Mm-hmm. Ratoncito. Ratoncito Perez. Specifically in Argentina, children would leave their tooth in a glass of water in, by their bed instead of under a pillow. Mm-hmm. And Rantoncito would drink the water and take the tooth and leave you something in the in the cup. Oh. It's kind of like milk and cookies for Santa. Ew. But it is. I'm not, milk, I don't understand. Milk and, the, which the Tooth Fairy and Santa are often like talked about in like similar genres. Yeah. But but I feel like you run the risk if, when you put the tooth in the cup of water that he chokes on the tooth. Why don't you just set it beside the glass of water? I don't know. We'll never know. If you lose if you lose any teeth, stick it in the glass of water by your bed and see what happens. Mm-hmm. I would love to, if I have a child, just teach them all the strangest things. And they, they go to school and they, all the little children are talking about the tooth fairy and your kid's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. I stick a tooth in a glass of water and, and, a, rat, rat. and a rat comes and drinks it at night yeah. and leaves me a gift mm-hmm. in the in the glass jar. Right. Which also seems like it would be more functional for the, for the parent in terms of like trying to put something under the pillow versus the glass jar on the bedside table. Mm-hmm. Just logistics. Yeah. In Afghanistan and Russia, children would leave their baby teeth in actual rodent holes with the hope that the rodent would leave them a stronger tooth in its place. You're going to put that tooth in your mouth with... Absolutely not. With what glue? The glue we just used to put your fingernails on. I do. He's... <laughs> ASMR. ASMR. In England, uh, children used to believe that if they didn't burn their teeth, remember we said burning was also an option... Uh, they believed if they didn't burn their teeth that they would then spend the rest of their afterlife looking for them. That just sounds like a like a Dante's Inferno, like seventh circle of hell thing. Mm. You're just eternally looking for your teeth that fell out. So I have a reoccurring dream that my mouth fills up with so many teeth that I can't talk and then my teeth fall out. And you know, Marcus, uh-huh. in high school, he told me that that meant that I was insecure. That was a sign of being insecure. Teeth, he, teeth are very symbolic in dreams some, yeah. for some reason. 
And then he told out, he started a rumor that my middle name was Aristotle. So there's that. Fun, fun but, facts about Lacey. Do you still fact. have that dream? Yeah. I don't, I feel like standing in front of a crowd naked is a sign of insecurity, not your teeth, teeth filling up. Teeth falling out is something though. Like falling off, like falling from the sky, teeth falling out, mm. st- standing in front of a crowd naked. Those are all mm-hmm. top of the list of dream things. Stay tuned for our episode on dreams. We could do a whole episode on dreams. Could do it next time you want to tell us about the um what they believe in ireland since it's your favorite oh yeah in irish folklore to ward off a changeling if you haven't listened to our fairy episode you can go listen uh and to ward off the changeling taking your child you could place a tooth just by their bed and i guess the changeling was like <laughs> i guess the changeling, <laughs> or they would just like take the tooth and be like we'll leave the kid yeah take the tooth good enough so, uh this one's kind of gross uh mm-hmm. i don't know in mongolia children would wrap their teeth in meat and feed it to a dog that's the origin of mongolian beef right there Ooh, i love mongolian beef don't say that mm-hmm. but also i feel like there's some serial killer out there that's like that's how i'm gonna get rid of the dental records yep in china lost teeth were sewn into the shoulders of winter coats mm. I, I have nothing for I, that shoulder pads yep I the history it, of shoulder pads. The history of shoulder pads. It was actually baby teeth. Um, and we'll leave you, in, in terms of our cultural travels today, we'll leave you with the Greeks, because we do always try to talk about them. Um, they would just throw their teeth on the roof. I have no explanation for that. but I feel like they like to, like, opa, and they throw things or yeah. plates. Is that your Greeks? Yeah. Yeah, I think they're just like, they just go outside and opa, and they just throw it on the roof. I'd rather have a rat on my roof than in my bedroom. True. So, I don't know. There you have it. So bringing all this back to America. Okay, so those are kind of some like odd traditions of teeth from around the globe. Lots of mice involved. But in terms of the earliest mention of the modern American version of the tooth fairy, the the earliest thing people have found is an article or not even it's not even an article. This little snippet from the Chicago Sunday Tribune from September 27th, 1908. And do you want to read this for us? Sure. Many a refractory child will allow a loose tooth to be removed if he knows about the tooth fairy. If he takes his little tooth and puts it under the pillow when he goes to bed, the tooth fairy will come in the night and take it away, and in its place will leave some little gift. It is a nice plan for mothers to visit the five-cent counter and lay in a supply of articles to be used on such occasions. Lillian Brown. So this wasn't even like a news article or anything like that. It was more like a tiny little paragraph as like a advice column. Yeah. I think it was like a advice for, you know, oh, you've got a child who has a wiggly loose tooth and they're like Mm -hmm. crying about it all the time. Just tell tell, them about the tooth fairy. Tell them about the tooth fairy and they'll let you rip it out and stick it under the bed and Mm -hmm. you get to move on. Mm -hmm. So There's always that one uncle that's real good at getting a paper towel and reaching in there and getting it out. Or tying the string around it and slamming a door. like. But you can't just like ask a kid hey can i rip this out of your head mm-hmm. with no like reward right so uh and it, so the tooth fairy people have made the argument that this is helping children manage the trauma of losing a body part which i get that mm-hmm. imagine the first time i mean i can't remember the first time a tooth i lost a tooth but there's something falling out of my face right and there's blood and like 
that has to be a scary experience. Mm-hmm. I just can't remember when, when mine was. But have you ever seen the picture of a um like a skull of a child before their teeth, their their adult teeth have descended? And so you have your row of adult teeth and then under it is the child there's just, and there's a just mouth two of, rows of teeth. Yeah. 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 Ugh. See they don't show that to kids for a reason. Right. The whole idea of this modern day tooth fairy really didn't take off until after World War II, probably for several reasons. One, there was an increase in prosperity, so people actually had more money to be able to right. give to their kids. You weren't getting no coin under your no, pillow in the like Great a, Depression. You getting like a can of beans or something. Yeah. Um, second reason why it probably became more popular after World War II was that there was more of a child-centered view of the American family. Um, this is when it became more normal for parents to cater to their children. Before then, children were more like, working for the family or working for the parents. And Mm -hmm. now it kind of flipped a little bit after that. So creating a family ritual that kind of helps children transition from infancy to childhood makes more sense before I'm sure they would have been like, we are trying to put food on the table. Yeah. We're eating slop for dinner. You don't need teeth to eat for that. Right. And reason number three is our old pal, the media. So you have all these movies from Disney, like Cinderella, Peter Pan, Pinocchio, like, you have more of the popularization of fairies mm-hmm. in general. So they... They need to make one on the Tooth Fairy. I know. I was actually just thinking about that. I'm sure. Is there not some sort of horror movie about the Tooth Fairy? Oh, there is. I've never seen it. I haven't either, but... but we'll talk about it. I'm not... Probably not going to watch that mm-hmm. if you sign in as homework. Last thing in terms of the Tooth Fairy is just the whole financial aspect of it. Because it is weird. Young kids, you're just like paying them for losing... Piece of their body falling pe- out. Yeah. Um, but this is this is um, your American folklore, not surprisingly, highly influenced by capitalism. There she is. There it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we do know about the origins of the Tooth Fairy come from two folklorists, which love that job title. You're a folklorist. What do you do for a living? I'm a folklorist. About a ju- not even a folklorist. You're just a folklorist that knows about the Tooth Fairy. Yeah. So there's there's two of these. Also, people. that's kind of what we are now. I was I was just thinking <laughs> that. I was like. About to slap that in our Instagram yep. bios. These two people were named Rosemary Wells and Tad Talusia. Mm-hmm. And old Tad writes this. He said, The Tooth Fairy holds a shorter and less visible pedigree than Santa Claus, but her macroeconomic function in today's society differs only in degree. Santa Claus's promise is a pre-monetary, or is pre-monetary, Goodness gets you Barbies or a Rambo doll. The Tooth Fairy's promise is more modern. Anything, even your own body, can be turned into gold. That, in its final reductive wisdom, is precisely the vaunted, or, yeah, the vaunted magic of free enterprise. That's the most American thing I've ever heard. But, but it makes sense. Yeah, you are, you earn or you learn the value of a dollar. Yeah. I mean, with Santa Claus, you learn the value of good behavior mm-hmm. as a, and being rewarded for that. Through the Tooth Fairy, you're learning the value of, you know. No pain, no gain. No pain, no Lose gain. Lose a teeth, tooth, get a coin, money. Worth three seventy, three seventy in these, de- in these, in these times. Days. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Tooth Fairy kind of, as it became more popular, businesses started to take advantage of it. Not surprising. Mm-hmm. You can go online. You can probably get this on Amazon. Uh, and find millions of options of mass-produced tooth paraphernalia, tooth, tooth containers. Con- that's what I, ha- I I was talking. That's what I talked about. You had beginning. a container. I had a pillow. I, I had a little. It was really small, and it was uh-huh. it was purple and green, and it was sparkly. Oh, 
it probably had a quote on it that, uh-huh. and you had a tooth pillow. Yeah. So, cause you can't just right stick a tooth under you can't. a bedside table or a drawer in a glass of water in a glass you of water. You gotta have a personalized box. They probably sell monogrammed ones these days. They probably do. Oh, that's the tooth fairy. There she is. If you ever wondered. And uh, we're going to take a small break, get a little snack, and then we're going to talk about a crazy dentist. I had a crazy dentist. Did you? Uh, yeah, I was scared of the dentist when I was younger. Oh. Not he me. He was just kind of creepy. Yeah. He, was, he, he reminded me of the dentist from... The Crentist? Uh, no, he reminded me of the, the Santa Claus movie the where he has the creepy brother. And it just had this huge smile, like plastered on his face oh. the whole time. Yeah. Interesting. I don't think Won't he killed, be going I don't there. think he killed people though, like this guy. Right. All right. See you in a second. How's it going? Snack break is back with a snack. We could have brought you all of our favorite Halloween candy. But we are we are talking about the health of teeth this week and so, the importance of that. So. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna put a pause on the sweet snacks mm-hmm. and bring you something healthy. Bring you something healthy but delicious. But still, but yeah, but still tasty. This week is brought to you by Utopia Snacks. What kind of snacks they got, Hannah? They have some healthy snacks. They do. It's it's like a healthy Chex Mix is that, what the way I'm going to describe it. Right. It is the number one rated low calorie protein snack. It is high protein, low sugar, non-GMO, gluten-free, plant protein, and kosher. Honestly, we should probably be passing these out for Halloween instead of candy. Should be, but I bought Snickers, so there it is. Sorry, kids. They have some interesting flavors. They do. They have um, bananas for chocolate, which has um, some organic banana chips in it, cocoa espresso cookie puffs, and dark chocolate sunflower seeds. You had me at cookie puffs. Oh, I had me at dark chocolate, Mm. anything. Um, They also have espresso obsesso, which this one is my favorite. You've got roasted almonds, cocoa espresso cookie puffs, and dark chocolate espresso beans. Mm. And then the the last one I saw in here, I thought one's one that you would like because it's got mustard in it. Mm. It's called So Money Honey Mustard. Uh, It has roasted almonds, honey mustard, jalapeno sticks, and Southwest fava chips. Lacey puts mustard on everything. Literally everything. Hannah just came over to eat lunch, and I was eating mustard potato salad. So so that's her favorite. I I like the coffee one. Lacey Mm -hmm. likes the mustard one. Anything mustard. But if you would like to get your own Utopia snacks and be healthy and feel good, then uh, you can go on over. And get you some with our code. So you can go find them at utopiasnacks.com, but it's spelled utopia, Y-O-U-T-O-P-I-A. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our code, tell them what our code is. Scary Snacks, 10% off. Scary Snacks. Scary Snacks. But they're actually not scary. Yeah, these actually aren't. So They're healthy. So head on over, try them today. sip of this we're drinking our pure one drinks if you don't know what that is then you don't follow us on instagram mm. we were talking about how people are scared to get the vaccine because they don't know what's in it and but hannah just goes what is matcha i don't even and know i said i don't know looks but like it, pond scum tastes like pure one green mm-hmm. so it must be healthy right all right well true crime today we're going to talk about a killer dentist this which is not going to make me want to go to the dentist anytime soon no. so thanks right um 
how you said you knew a creepy dentist your dentist i did was creepy. when i well when i was a kid and again I, mean, I guess just going to the dentist is kind of a scary thing in general as a child i liked know? it because you got stickers yeah but but after you sat in a chair and let somebody scrape and poke mm-hmm. and made make your gums bleed mm-hmm so it's just not not a pleasant experience. I love my dentist now, but when I was younger, I feel like I don't know. He just always had this like really big smile. It was it was like the second or third um, Santa Claus movie where he's mm-hmm. got like the evil twin brother, just has this huge plastic smile on his face the whole time, and that was my dentist. Where he it's was like just he, showcasing what you could have if you. Yeah, but it was terrifying. Well, this man, Glennon Engelman. He was even more scary. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. He is actually the inspiration behind the cult horror favorite, The Dentist, which was released in 1996. Never seen it. Probably not going to. So before I was asking, is there like a horror film about the tooth fairy? Mm -hmm. Probably, but there's definitely a horror film about The Dentist. Right. Glennon, old Glennon, he was born in St. Louis, Missouri on February 6, 1927. Did you live? You lived in St. Louis, right? No, No, Louisville. Oh, (laughs) Where's that Classic mix-up. Kentucky? Oh. I don't know how I don't know that. It's fine. Also, I have a great-great-grandmother whose name was Missouri. Just in fact. Isn't that dope? I love mm-hmm. Never, I've never heard mm-hmm. that before. Put that on the also, list of baby she, names. Also, they were French, so it might have been not pronounced that. No, like I'm going to... Mi- Missouri. No, I'm going to go with <laughs> just Missouri. Um, Glennon, he was from a middle-class family and was the youngest of four children, and he would go on to serve in the U.S. Army Air Corps, and then he used his GI Bill to attend college. And despite average grades in school, Engelman actually earned a degree in dentistry from Washington University in St. Louis in 1954. And he would go on to set up his dental office in a lower-income area in St. Louis. So not a bad start. Yeah, well, just one second. Um, according to Susan Baco's book, Appointment for Murder, Engelman would often treat the poorest patients for free— Sounds nice, right? It does. However, he was investigated by the St. Louis Civil Rights Commission for refusing to treat a black woman. Mm. So you let you problematic. Had, we were going towards Good Samaritan, and then we turned into a racist SOB. So yep, yep, not quite. Uh, while in dental school, he he didn't earn the reputation of being a you know a smart. Uh, he what is what is it most likely to succeed? He earned the reputation of a womanizer. Oh. So although he wasn't very attractive, he had a great personality, supposedly. He had a lot of charisma. We all know those people. Yeah. That, like, if you just saw them on the street, you'd be like, eh, but their personality makes up for it. Yeah. It is that charisma that attracted Edna, also known as Ruthie Ball, and the couple married in 1953. And despite being married, the couple never lived together. I feel like we had a story recently where they... Oh, it was um the fairy the lady. fairy one, mm-hmm. yeah. Ruthie lived with fellow students in a female housing unit while Engelman continued to live with his mother. Sound red flag. Yep. The couple cheated on each other constantly. Another and, red flag. Right. And filed for divorce in 1956. But despite the divorce, the pair remained friends. Uh, they would still sleep together from time to time. And so Ruthie, many red flags. <laughs> Ruthie got free dental care out of it. So well, win-win for her. You go for it, Ruthie. Mm-hmm. Dental care is expensive. We all know this. Ruthie eventually got married to a man named James Bullock. And on seven, December 17, 1958, on his way to night class at St. Louis University, James was shot once in the chest with a shotgun and twice in the head and once in the left shoulder with a twenty two caliber caliber pistol. I don't... 
it's odd and the police thought it was odd what why do you bring two, two guns, guns did yeah. I, a shotgun was probably gonna do that's i don't do know the trick a lot about guns but it's that's i would assume it. that would do the trick and this led them to believe that the murder was premeditated because who just carries two guns around you know right especially a shotgun right his body was discovered behind the city art museum between 7 and seven thirty p.m and his car was found near nearby and there was a trail of blood leading from the car to the spot where his body was found so i guess that led them to believe Somebody he was attacked and then ran and if you can run after getting shot by a shotgun or good. or was his body dragged somewhere or oh. he dragged his own body trying could to be. get away could be because the police were thrown off at first because the alley in which he was killed was known as a meeting spot for gay men so this led them down this rabbit hole of believing james was killed by a lover or an angry bigot I guess you can't just be walking down an alley. I, apparently not. To get Especially not that one. That alley's sole purpose was for rendezvous. Engelman mm-hmm. was brought in for questioning. You know, he's her, this person's ex-husband. So, um, or no, I said that wrong. <laughs> this man's wife's ex-husband. There we go. Definitely connect. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was brought in, but he had an alibi. He said that he had been at the dentist's office with his friend and then they left to get a soda at a drugstore so the police were unable to solve the case despite some pretty alarming evidence you know we always say follow the money always always for starters ruthie had collected the sixty-four thousand dollar life insurance policy after james died and she gave twenty thousand of this to engelman um and he put this toward this drag racing strip business he had oh Mm -hmm. the hustler not to mention ruthie and engelman uh, we're still getting it on, and Ruthie was still getting free dental care, care. So, you know what I mean? Dental care. Um, Ew. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the drag race. Hold on. <clears throat> Let me just breathe. The drag racing business went under, and Engelman lost all of the 20000 he had put into it. So. Shocker. Mm-hmm. So at this point, he's hungry for more money. He's also hungry for more women. And he marries a new woman who was a librarian by the name of Ida. But because he was a womanizer, he quickly quickly tainted the marriage because he caught the eye of another woman. Goodness. Mm-hmm. And this woman just so happened to be Ida's 18-year-old niece named Sandy. And Ugh. Engelman, I think, was around 31 at this point. So. Ooh. A creeper he is. Um, He hired Sandy to do clerical work in his dental office, and this was also a good hideout spot for the couple to carry out their affair. You know, those shares lean back. You know what I'm saying? Ew. Engelman was hungry for money at this point, like I said, and he devised another plan for another life insurance payout. Engelman said, or excuse me, told Sandy to flirt with an employee at the drag racing strip, seduce him basically um, so she could marry him, and that's where this is going. So that would be 23-year-old Eric Fry. And after a brief romance, Sandy and Eric married in 1962. And as soon as she could, Sandy purchased the maximum amount of life insurance, which was $25,000. And that would be about a quarter of a million in today's time. They had been married for about one year when Engelman set his plan into motion. I don't understand how you get all these women to do this seriously because that's what i was just saying is this was not just him Mm -hmm. acting alone right and we'll see this continues to happen so engelman lured eric to the drag racing strip under the lure that eric would help engelman seal up a well using dynamite i obviously don't know anything about dynamite i didn't realize i thought you'd have to have a license or be a scientist or something to use dynamite but apparently just a 
Mm-hmm. Sleazy dentist. So on September 26, 1963, the two met at the drag strip and planted the dynamite into the well. But before Eric could hit the detonator button, Engelman bashed him over the head with a rock. He then threw Eric's body into the well and then blew it up with the dynamite. This made it look like Eric had accidentally blown himself up, and Engelman made sure to play the part. He was screaming, he was crying for help, begging for someone to call an ambulance. And when the police arrived, they didn't really see or hear anything suspicious, so they thought that it was just a freak accident. You know, it's it's every day a man just falls in a well full of, full of dynamite. dynamite. Yeah. And Sandy did not request an autopsy, and Eric cremated immediately. My question about that is, wouldn't you get blown up by dynamite? You kind of just got cremated. You to, right. For you to cremate? Right. Yeah. You kind of did it yourself, but I don't know. She called the insurance agency the night of his death and asked when she could cash out the life insurance policy. Settle down. I wonder how often they you have to report that. Like, this lady's husband just died, and she called and was like, I need I'm, that I'm sure. Right now. I was about to say, I'm sure there's a time frame, mm-hmm. and, like, less than 24 hours is real suspicious. Real sus. Of the 25000 she received, she gave Engelman 16000 as an investment for his drag strip. The one that already failed? Right. Yeah, that had problems? Yeah. <laughs> He's, he, you, he gives it his all. You'll see that. <laughs> Just months after Sandy received the money from the insurance payout, she gave birth to a baby girl. And Ida, Engelman's wife, was very suspicious of this. But Sandy moved several states away to live with her grandmother, and Engelman settled back into his dentistry career. For a while. What? Cause he, what? Whose baby was it? Was it? Engelman's. Oh, it I, was? Okay. I assume, yeah. Cause, okay, I yeah. don't know. Um, he's a crazy dentist. Yeah. What are you going to do? His next murder plot wouldn't be carried out until nearly a decade later, so he settled down for a while, but we'll see. He comes back to it several times. Uh, his marriage to Ida had ended in 1965, and so did his relationship with Ida's niece, Sandy. And he was now a single man on the lookout for his next victim. And as soon as he divorced his second wife, Ida, he immediately remarried to one of his long-term mistresses. And he has mistresses on mistresses on top of mistresses. Seriously, I can't keep up. And this woman's name was Ruth. So you got Ruthie and Ruth. Um, but this marriage also ended as soon as it began. So that's his third wife. By this Why time, do people keep marrying him? He's got that good, that good, good personality, <laughs> that good, good dental work. By this time, Engelman's dentistry business was also starting to struggle financially. He was running behind on taxes, but instead of just sitting down, focusing everything and his energy into pr- improving his practice, he started thinking of his next scheme. So, for his next female accomplice, he turned to his dental assistant, Carmen. Carmen Miranda and her family at one point had lived with Engelman and his mother. He had employed several of her family members. Sounded like he was trying to help them out. At one point, Engelman gave Carmen an abortion in the, one of the dental chairs at his own practice. And okay. this almost killed her. She almost bled to death and actually well, yeah. ended up being hospitalized. Because you're a dentist, not a... Mm-hmm. whatever uh, what are those called i don't know but that's not his area of expertise (laughs) Uh uh-huh but she still felt grateful to him because she didn't feel like she could raise a child at that point so was it his child i don't know probably carmen's guilt and need for money made her an easy target to convince and the plan started the same carmen would need a man and that unlucky guy turned out to be 26 year old peter holm and Carmen had actually dated Peter in high school. So the two got married, and Carmen immediately took out a life insurance policy, uh, as they do. 
But she chickened out at one point saying that she didn't want to go through with the murder, um, but Engelman threatened her and her family if she didn't follow through. So Engelman set the murder date for September 5th, 1976, and he told Cameron to take her husband out for a hike. So she took him to a park nearby where they made their way to a secluded area near a pond. And it was there while they were looking out at the pond that a shot rung out. And Peter was struck in the back, killing him pretty instantly. Some nearby hunters started to approach because they heard the shot and Engelman fled the scene. So the police thought that this was a pretty open and closed case. They listened to Carmen when she said some unknown stranger just came up and shot Peter. And Carmen, however, was so affected by the guilt that she eventually required hospitalization again, but this time for depression and suicidal ideation. Though Peter's life insurance had been valued at $75,000, Engelman was more concerned with getting a smaller cut faster so that he could settle his tax bills. So he was persistent with Carmen, but she grew increasingly difficult to reach. Like I said, well, she's, she's in the, in the hospital, hospital for one. So probably due to her mental state, her brother Nick took over the insurance policy and he had his suspicions about Engelman, but he was also scared of him and handed over the money. So Engelman gets this life insurance policy payout again that's the third one yep supposedly as they were exchanging the money engelman told nick quote your brother-in-law was hard to kill <gasps> it didn't sound like he was hard to kill it sounded like he just shot him in the back shot him in the back like a coward but at this point engelman is thinking that he's a pretty good hit man all of his schemes have worked out so far so for his next plan he he wanted a sidekick a batman and robin type situation oh. if you will this one is really deep he took a lot of steps on this one but he used his hand handyman who's i'm not kidding his name was bob handy to assist with the job okay <laughs> you can't beat that like bob the builder and the fact that it's handy anyway and uh he promised to give him a cut of this money so engelman at the time was having an affair with a woman named barbara goosewell and barbara was married to ron goosewell who was an oil refinery worker so he was pretty wealthy. His parents were pretty wealthy and had a very prosperous farm. So Barbara had told Engelman of the Goosewell's wealth, and that's when he saw an opportunity. So if Ron's parents died, Ron would receive an inheritance. Then if Ron died, Barbara would inherit that money oh. and Ron's life insurance money. So it's like a double, double whammy. whammy. Yeah. yeah. So on November 3rd, 1977, Engelman put on his suit and a pair of gloves, then tucked a 22 caliber pistol and silencer into his pocket. And him and old Bob, the builder, they drove Engelman to the Goosewell's farm where he tied up Ron's parents, Arthur and Vernita, and then shot them in the head. But before leaving the house, he staged it like it was a crime scene, but did not take any valuables. The, I see that all the time where people that stage the crime scene, they don't take any valuables. And that's like the first sign. Right. If it's a robbery, why is the 55 inch flat screen sitting right. in the... Not that they had flat screens back then, but... But still. Mm -hmm. Handy then drove the getaway car. But despite the shot being in the head, Arthur, the husband, was somehow able to make it to the telephone and call 911, which always amazes me. When the paramedics reached the house, Arthur was barely hanging on, but he was able to mumble the word two over and over. But sadly, he died in the hospital later that night. I guess he meant there were two, two people. people involved. I guess he wouldn't... I don't know why he didn't say Engelman. Maybe he didn't know who the person was, but... Almost a year later, Ron received the inheritance money from Engelman's plan. Um, I'm sorry, excuse me. Almost a year later, Ron received the inheritance money and his 
next plan was set into place. So on the night of March 31st, 1979, Barbara drove Engelman and Bob Handy to her home that she shared with Ron because he just inherited all that money. So now he's got to go. Yep. And then she let them in through the garage. There, they waited in the garage until Ron got home from work. And as soon as the garage door opened, Engelman shot him in the chest and then began to beat in his skull with a hammer. So that to me says there's... That's okay, they're shooting someone, but when you get a hammer and like finish the job, that says to me like you, you're just enjoying this at this point. But also, I guess because he knew that he didn't do the job well enough last time if the mm-hmm. guy was able to call the police. True. Ron was dead within seconds. Engelman and Bob cleaned up the scene and then placed Ron's body in the back of his own Camaro, and they drove the body to a sketchier part of town and dumped it behind a liquor store because they're idiots. <laughs> I don't know why they didn't think anybody would find this. It took police five days to discover the body, and when they were able to open up the Camaro, there was a very foul smell, and they found Ron's decomposing body. So... Given that this part of town was popular for sex work, the police believed that Ron had come to that spot for the purpose of getting a little something and got mixed up with the wrong people. However, there was one intelligent crime lab technician who noted that the towels used to absorb his blood were pretty high in, and she mentioned that, but nothing ever came of it. So I guess she was like, these towels, this part of town, people don't have this right here, this 500 count. People don't have this count. I couldn't. I couldn't tell you the difference between a high-end towel and a, no. you know, a paper towel. But she could. So, yeah. Um, the case was closed, and Barbara was set to inherit a hundred and ninety thousand dollars. The money keeps getting more and more as the time, years yeah. go on. She would also inherit Ron's estate, and could potentially net nearly five hundred thousand dollars. So, while waiting on the payout, Barbara gave Engelman four thousand dollars to pay off several debts. But his dental clinic was still struggling because he owed money to the company that processed his x-rays. There was a woman, Sophie Barrera. She was the owner of St. Louis Dental Laboratory, and she doubted that she would ever get the money. It was actually $15,000 that Engelman owed her, so she filed a lawsuit. It didn't, it didn't end well for Sophie. Um, a little before 5 p.m. on January 14, 1980, Sophie was leaving the dental lab for the night. She climbed into her car, and she didn't notice that there was a small device tucked into the front tire. And as soon as she put the car into gear, the car exploded, killing her instantly. And at this point, that was his seventh victim, Engelman's seventh Dang. victim. Sophie's adult son and several several of her friends and neighbors immediately identified Engelman as a suspect. It was obvious that he had the most to gain from her death. So in the days following the bombing, the St. Louis police and the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms brought Engelman in for questioning. He refused to submit a polygraph or test of his hands and clothes for explosive residue. That's a sure sign right there. Why else would you have explosive residue on your hands? But also, I think like polygraphs aren't technically like admissible in court anyway. But but you're in a Mm lose-lose. Like you take the test and then they can't use it in the court mm-hmm. or you say you don't want to take the test because they can't use it but and it still n- makes you But not guilty. giving your hands and clothes yeah. over for explosive residue. Yeah. But he didn't refuse to talk. In fact, they couldn't get him to stop talking. That's <laughs> true. Sure. He sounds like one of those people. So he said he, he wasn't sorry that Sophie was dead, but he wasn't the one who killed her. And his alibi was that he was at his dental office at the time of the murder. That's always his alibi. Well, was that, that was I was that at the dental office. I, I was working. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, this time, police weren't buying it. They questioned Engelman's ex-wife, uh, the, his third one, because which, which one, one, right, Ruth, 
who out of fear of retaliation told them everything she knew about her ex's murderous history. So she also, she agreed to wear a, ri- a wire and she invited Engelman over several times while the police listened outside. But he became very sus and thought that the house was bugged and never really revealed anything at first. So the police had a plan to start talking about him in the newspapers, and they figured that would make him nervous and make him open up more to Ruth. And so a few days after these articles released about him, Engelman invited Ruth out for pizza, and she was wearing a wire, and he talked about the relationships with Carmen and Bob Handy, and he told her how he was tired of these insurance schemes. But then he said he wanted more money after killing Peter Holm. And there was. He admitted to it on tape. So Engelman was arrested on February 24th, 1980. So was Bob the Builder. And within 24 hours of his arrest, other people began to turn against him, including Carmen Miranda and her brother Nick. They told the police everything they knew. In exchange for his life, Bob Handy also testified against Engelman. And after all, he never received any of the money, his cut of the deal for being. Why was he doing all this then? Uh, I guess he, he thought he'd get the money, but but he didn't. Never did. So, in the spring of 1980, Engelman was put on trial for the murder of Peter Holm and Sophie Barrera. And for these murders, he received two life sentences. The murder of the Goose Wells was still unsolved, so the police returned to the house of Ron and Barbara. Although the house no longer belonged to Barbara, you would think the evidence would have been long gone. But the forensic team was able to uncover blood stains on the garage floor that were linked to Ron Goosewell. And Barbara was arrested and convicted to 50 years in prison for her role in the murder. Good. And Engelman received an additional three life sentences for the murder. And so that's a total of 330 years in prison. He went on to spend the rest of his life in prison, obviously, refusing interviews and keeping to himself. And in 1999, 72-year-old Engelman died due to complications from diabetes. Goodbye. He ate too much candy. Mm Mm-hmm. All in all, his murderous career had only gotten him less than $65,000. $65,000 for your life. I hope that was worth it. He could have made more money if he, you know, just sat down did, and... Did his dental practice right. appropriately. Right. Dentists make pretty good money. They really do. Yeah. If he had just stuck to dentistry. Mm-hmm. And when questioned in jail, Engelman said, I like to kill. Not everyone has the strength to kill. It sets a man apart from his fellow man if he can kill. It sure does, you wacko. Yeah. Which sure. he was, he, he went to war, didn't he? Didn't, wasn't that uh-huh. part of his history? So yeah. PTSD gone real, real wrong. Uh, and some other stuff. And some other stuff. Anyways, I hope you keep that story in your back pocket for the next time you go to I the dentist. I was just about to say. I, Think about all that goes on in those chairs. Nope. That's probably the most alarming part. Right. I'm going to sanitize mine the yeah. next time. All right. Well, Hannah. We're going to miss you for a couple episodes. I'm going to miss y'all. Next time, there's going to be a babysitting here. There could be. And you'll have to... That's very true. Y'all are just going to have to sit through the cries. Excuse the cries. Excuse the... No, Lacey... Whatever else they do. Whatever. Eat eat, Mm -hmm. eat poop and sleep. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, Lacey's got some good people lined up, though. We got some guest hosts Mm -hmm. that are lined up. Mm -hmm. I understood the assignment. She Uh did. She was like, Uh I got you. She said... I said, what do we need to do about November? She said, I got it. I got it. So maybe we'll see Hannah in December. Yep. We'll that's, see. That's only one other episode away. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to we're gonna play it by ear. Cut I'll us, just, cut I'll us just make her come in, sit the baby down. Yeah. Cut us some slack the last, uh, the last part of the year. Right. And then we'll be back ready to go in January. 2022. That's crazy. All right. Hey, we'll see you on the flippity flop. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.